0: Why don't you guys stand and we will have our scripture reading. You guys are getting a lot of me this morning. <laughs> okay, so Exodus 20, 1 through 16, this is coming from the New Living Translation. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any God but me. but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and who obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. And you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Miss Sarah. Y'all can be seated. Some tall people in here, man. I gotta... <laughs> Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your commands because they are life-giving. They come from your heart and they reveal who you are. And so God, I, you've called us to good works and you've called us to do amazing things, to be able to be light into darkness and to speak life into death. And so Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that today, this moment, our hearts would be open. And Father, that you would fill my mouth with your words, that you would anoint my uh, heart, Father, to be able to bring your word, Father, um, with humility, with grace, power, and truth. Lord, be glorified, and Father, may you sweetly convict us this morning so we can look more like Jesus, and as he sings in his name, amen. So I'm Sarah's husband. Um, I don't need any other introduction than that. I'm lucky enough to be married to her, blessed. Um, God is good. Actually, I think I just got dropped down in my volume. Uh, My voice is a little bit hoarse. Thank you so much. Um, So we've been in this series about the Ten Commandments this whole summer. And so if you're new here, it's kind of what we've been doing over the last, well, up to now, nine weeks. Um, Nine weeks, and we're just doing this series called The Ten Commandments. And if you've been with us, one of the things that has been highlighted really is the fact that the Ten Commandments are just as relevant for us as they were when they were originally given thousands of years ago. And, and I think they're so common that we don't see them as commandments anymore, but almost like this, this keepsake of times past of what it means to be good. And I don't think that that's what the Lord has for us this morning as we look at the Ten Commandments, because they, in fact, are absolutely as relevant to us as they were when Moses brought them down the mountain. And I think when it comes to reading scripture, sometimes what happens, is, because we live in this Instagram culture, uh, we will see a verse and we'll go, you know, I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And normally there's like some dumbbells or some barbells next to it, you know, in the picture. And it's like this is hanging on every Christian's gym wall, you know. But if you actually look at the context of scripture, it has, it's not just a weightlifting. Scripture. It's not about, oh, okay, I'm going to be able to do 50 pounds instead of 40 pounds. No. Context is so key. And so it's great that we could take Scripture out and kind of isolate it and get meaning out of it, but you have to read it in context. And when we look at the Ten Commandments in context, what you're going to find is these famous commandments were originally given to Israelites after they were freed from bondage from 400 years of slavery, Okay, so there's this context in which they are coming, but because God is a God of liberation and freedom, he intervenes and he liberates his people, the Israelites, and so for the first time in generations, these people who only knew slavery are now free, but here's the thing, just because they are physically free doesn't mean that they know how to behave and think like free people. I see too many Christians as a pastor who we are free, we sing of freedom, we talk about freedom, we agree with freedom, but so often we still think like slaves. And it is in the mind, that it is in the heart in which we are bound unless we understand what God came to completely do in our lives. Not just liberate us, but set us free so not only so our status is free, but so that we can live in freedom. It's a big difference. It's one thing to be free. It's another thing to live free. And so God says, now that you're free, here's what I want you to do. I want you to learn how to live in freedom, how to also not only personally live in freedom, but how to be able to create a culture of freedom. God is a God of liberation. But so often when we look at these Ten Commandments, they're so often mischaracterized as a bunch of do's and don'ts. Right? Restrictive, don't do this, don't do that, watch out here. But worship me only, all these things as slave feet. Our flesh sees these as restrictive things when in fact they are designed for our liberation. And so, with these new these people who were once slaves and they don't know how to operate any other way, God in His providence comes to them and says, okay, here's a couple of things I want you to keep in mind as you now learn how to walk in freedom. God says, now that you're free, I'm going to show you. My character, because God's character is revealed in these commandments. We get to see a glimpse and a facet of who God is through these commandments, not these restrictions. This is designed for our freedom. And so one of the commandments that we're looking at this morning is the ninth commandment where it says this in Exodus. It says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God. Don't you love that God speaks like that about us? He's saying, I am your God. He's not ashamed to be called our God. And he says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then you jump over, he says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We're like, okay. So if you kind of go in consecutive order with the commandments, what you'll find is there's a lot of things that require action. But at this particular commandment, what you're going to see is it shifts from actions to now focusing on words. And part of the reason why is because our words have tremendous power within them. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 18 says this words kill and words give life. They're either poison or they're fruit. You get to choose what you speak. Your words hold this type of power of life and death. And so here we have this commandment saying, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, when we hear this term false witness, I got to be honest with you. I'm I, i I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I, we probably don't struggle with it. I got the commandment that really no one met, struggles with. So guys, just keep not bearing false witness and have a good morning. No, it's not going to be like that. I don't think... Bearing false witness. When I think about it, I don't know. I'm like, I don't think I've been bearing false witness recently. But this term is not a term that we use often, is why. So it's hard to contextualize it in our own actions and lives and go, are we really doing this or are we not? But I was just thinking about this, and I, I I don't go home and bring my lunch pail, although I don't have one. But just imagine for the for the sake of illustration, walk in with my lunch pail and Sarah's in the back and she's uh, you know fixing stuff for dinner or whatever. And hey, honey, how was your day today? And just go, oh, honey, man, I've been bearing false witness all over the place today. It's been a terrible day, right? Says nobody. Nobody says that. But let me give you another translation of this commandment, because there's a little bit more of an edge to it. And it's the message translation. And it says this, no lies about your neighbor. It's almost like we take this one commandment, and look at the translation and then NLT or maybe the ESV, but then the message translation almost speaks to us in ways as if I was t- telling my daughter who's nine, no, don't, no lies about your neighbor, right? But who is our neighbor? Well, there's a story where Jesus is sharing, he's sharing the story about, you know, the good Samaritan, and, when, and there's this, this guy who's a religious guy, and he's trying to say, well, who in fact is my neighbor? And what we really find is Jesus says, everyone is your neighbor. Everybody, the person sitting next to you, anybody that comes across your path is your neighbor. And so, but here's the thing: as I as I look at this, sometimes I think we have this tendency. To, when we look at Scripture, we just go, we just we don't even consider the Scripture. We just go, yep, God said it, that settles it, and I believe it. And I'm just. But I think sometimes we're supposed to wrestle with it and go, how did this one, and why did this one make the top ten? There's a lot of commandments that are valuable. How did this one make it to the top 10? God's saying, I'm going to give you my top 10, and here's one of them. How did it make it there? And I think part of the reason why it's there is because before we can truly, fully understand the weight of this commandment, we have to first understand why we actually possess power of life and death in our mouths. Is this just figurative, or is this real? How did we get this kind of power? And are we even aware we have this kind of power? You see... It actually started with a conversation between God, the Father and Jesus. This is in the creation story and what you'll see in Genesis 1 it says then God said, "Let us make human beings in our image to be like who?" Does it, is it up there? Okay. I'm an interactive preacher, so I'm going to ask you a question. So, then God said, "Let us make human beings in our image to do to be like who?" Okay. To be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. We're the only created being made in the image of God. We bear the image of God. So there's something not only just as image bearers, we not only look like God, but we've been made in the image of God. And this is where the power of life and death rests in our mouth because God, what you will see is if you read the creation story, God used Jesus, God used the words as the paintbrush to be able to create all that we see. He spoke it into existence. He spoke creation into existence. And so words have power and words can create and they can also destroy. And so if you read it, you'll see that God did this. And so... Keep this as a placeholder for a second, but there's this word, when we talk about what it means to be made in the image of God, there's this word, it's a Greek word, it's icon, okay? And this is where we get the word icon from, but here's the definition of icon, it means this, to be like, it's like a mirror-like representation. And so our original design, what we see in Genesis is that we were created by God in his image, these mirror-like reflections, we were made to be icons of God, mirror-like reflection. So when someone looks at you, they see God. That was the original plan. And this was part of what he put us together to do. This is part of this reflection, though, as his image bears, is that we would not use our words to lie or to bear false witness because this is not the character. This is not a reflection of God. God does not lie. He does not bear false witness. And so as icons redeemed by Jesus, we also should be reflecting his character, and using our words in a way that produces life. Hebrews 6.18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. And so to lie means to misrepresent God and who he created us to be. And so in this commandment, he's saying, be like me. That's what he's saying in this commandment. Be like me, don't bear false witness, and don't lie. But what does it mean to really bear false witness? Here's, the, here's a great definition. To bear false witness is to intentionally give an inaccurate representation of someone else's character someone else's character so let's get personal for a moment think about the scars that are on your heart today think about those things i mean it could be maybe they're not even scars maybe they're actually wounds that have really never healed Over the course of your lifetime, there could have been things that have spoken over you, that were spoken about you and over you years ago, and there's still these gaping wounds on your heart, and they have shaped how you see yourself, how you see God, how you see others. You see, words are really powerful, and as a pastor, I've seen the damage and have personally experienced the damage of what happens when this ninth commandment is not honored and obeyed. I think we can all agree with the repercussions of what happens when someone bears false witness about us, spreads rumors, spreads gossip, mischaracterizes us, brings our, our character into question and wrongly represents that. How painful is that? How destructive of that is that in the body of Christ? For some in here, some of you, you still you carry insecurities and fears this very morning because someone recently or even years ago spread a false rumor about you, misrepresented your character, and it's a pain that you still carry. There's those in this town, and I've lived in Manitou for over three years now, that would never consider coming to New Life Manitou, not because our church isn't awesome, but because at some point in the past, someone within the body wrongly judged them. Someone within the body of Christ at a church in the past intentionally gave an inaccurate representation of their character. Are we beginning to see that words produce life and words can produce death? Jesus said this. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So who is this thief that Jesus is talking about, that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. You see, it's the original liar himself, Satan. Okay, Let's not forget that the fall of all mankind started with a lie. Did it not? And Satan appeared to Adam and Eve, and because they believed a lie, this thief was able to steal from mankind, kill, and destroy the life that God originally intended for us to have and experience as icons, image bearers of God. So all of a sudden, this becomes a distorted identity. And so now we begin to, just like Adam and Eve, they were no longer in right fellowship with God. What did they do? They became fearful of him, thinking he was a bad God, and they became full of shame. So as image bearers of God, they no longer saw themselves accurately. They themselves mischaracterized who they were in light of what the lie produced. It produced death. And we have been dealing with this ever since. So when we look at this ninth commandment and ignore it or just go, well, I don't bear false witness, when we do in fact bear false witness and we lie, you have to understand the gravity of what this commandment is and when we disobey it and go counter to it or don't take it seriously, here's what happens. We no longer reflect our father God in those moments as icons of God, but actually we form an alliance with another father. Let me explain to you who that other father is. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Jesus goes on to say, he's frustrated. He goes, why can't you understand what I am saying? He says, it's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth. He always hated the truth. And there is no truth within him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character. Do you see how the Ten Commandments Commandments reflect the character of God? And yet, there's converse on the flip side of this. There's also other commands that the enemy tries to instill within our body, within our culture, within our own minds, and our hearts. And he says, and when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. You see, Jesus, here's what's interesting. We go, well, he's not speaking to us. Well, hang tight, because Jesus is drawing a very clear line here for all of us. And for the people he was talking to in context, the thing is, is if you read the whole passage, what you will find is he's talking to people who agreed that the Ten Commandments were good. He was, he's talking to people that goes, yeah, the Ten Commandments absolutely should be followed. But I've learned something as the Lord has been convicting me in this sermon as I was writing it, it's one thing to agree with the Bible and it's one thing to even agree with the Ten Commandments and go, those are good. We, the, absolutely, people should follow those. You may even have the Ten Commandments hanging on your wall in a hallway in your house. But it is a whole nother thing as redeemed icons mirror reflections of God to actually reflect God's nature and character by being mindful of what comes out of our mouths. There's a difference between agreeing with the word of God and agreeing with the Ten Commandments and actually putting them into practice as God followers, image bearers of God. Words kill words can give life. James says, indeed, we all make many mistakes for if we could control our tongues, if we could just keep our big mouths under control is what he's really saying, we would be perfect. He said, and could also control ourselves in every other way. So it seems like if we can control our mouths, self-control in these other areas of lust and greed and all the rest of these things could actually, they're really easy. We have to start with our mouths. He says, listen, we can make a large horse go anywhere at once by a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder can make a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes a grand speech, but a tiny spark that can set a great forest on fire. The tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire if you do not know how to manage your tongue. For it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and fish, but no one can, can tame this tongue of ours it is a restless and evil thing full of deadly poison so whether you're in the new testament or the old testament what we find is the word of god is very consistent about the ability for our words to have life or have death within them he says sometimes it praises our lord our father and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of god Our words, he says, so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. As icons of God, how in the world can we sing praises in here but tear down people out there? How in the world as icons and supposed reflections of God, icons of God, image bearers of God, how can we worship God in here, but then mischaracterize our brothers and sisters in our ignorance and in our pride? And we begin to fill in blanks about people, and we don't have the right to do it because we don't know all the details of their lives. But gosh, man, we're so quick to begin to mischaracterize them, marginalize them, begin to gossip about them, and we sidestep the process in which, if there is an offense, great, but we sidestep that, and we would much rather talk about other people and mischaracterize them and assume the worst instead of assuming the best. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, that's the love chapter. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it doesn't take into an account a wrong suffered, but it also believes the best. And as image bearers of God, we must start believing the best about people. Otherwise, we will be breaking the ninth commandment on a daily basis. And if you want to know why, maybe there is not joy in your life because you're walking in disobedience and breaking this commandment as a habitual lifestyle because no one has explained it until this morning, but now we're responsible to do something with what we've heard, right? To bear false witness, guys, is to literally take sides and align yourself with the accuser. Who is the accuser though? Revelation 12 talks about how the father of lies, the devil, is also known as the accuser. Everybody say accuser. Yeah, you see, Scripture describes him as going before God day and night, bringing accusations about you and me before God. Did you know that? bearing false witness against us misrepresenting who we really are intentionally giving an inaccurate representation of who we are before the father he's saying these people are still guilty jesus and in that moment you have to understand he's saying we're guilty but guys but because of what jesus has done that is not true that is, he is bearing false witness he's consistent with his character The accuser is saying, you guys are still under condemnation. You guys still can't get it right. You guys are not lovable by God. When in fact, Jesus has the final word. And he says, no, I've liberated them from slavery and I've given them a new way to live. And as a matter of fact, I say that they're forgiven, holy, and righteous. The enemy comes in to bear false witness against you. But when we bear false witness against other people, who have we aligned with? We've aligned ourselves with Satan and his works, and when there's division, you can expect the devil is at work, and division many times presents itself first as a seed of bearing false witness, and lying about other people, putting ourselves in a place of judgment, and when we do this, we reflect the character of the devil more than living icons of God, representing his character. He says, don't bear false witness, because I don't, If you want to look like me, don't do this. This is where freedom and safety and unity can thrive if it's practiced. A couple of years back, now Mr. Big Shot talking about bearing false witness like I've got it all figured out. Uh, I I struggle with this all the time. How many of y'all, you have this sedate ability where you can read someone really quickly? Like the moment you meet them, you can kind of size them up really quick. Okay, no, everybody's afraid to raise their hands in there. They're like, no, he's gonna call me out, he's mad, no. I do. This is me. And so I've always had this ability to be able to just read people pretty quickly and just kind of get a vibe of where they're coming from. And man, I tell you, social media, it gives you all sorts of false negatives and false positives, man. Because there's this guy that I was following a couple of years ago, and he's a pastor, he's a preacher, book writer guy, and I followed him. And over a period of time, I started really just kind of not being impressed with him. And it's not because of what he was saying or what he was doing, but I really got tired of looking at him, okay? And what I mean by that is he would always be, always be in my feed, and he's always taking pictures of himself, like doing cool stuff, standing in front of crowds, uh, all these cool quotes that were real clever. And over time, I was just like, this guy, man, I think he wants to be a rock star, you know? I think he's, I don't know if I trust his motives. I think that he's kind of self-promoting, right? And I'm sitting there in my living room, and I'm yeah, this guy, maybe I need to unfollow him, but I didn't. And over about of a year, year and a half, I began to tell Sarah, I'm like, honey, this freaking guy is making me nuts. Look at, look at this post. Look at the face that he's making in this picture. I want to punch it. Oh, really? Too honest? This is Manitou, y'all. Um, so we could, we and so I'm just being honest. And so I really began to struggle and, the, and I began to follow him. I kept following him. And I get mad. I judge him. And I begin to insert, fill in some blanks on this guy. I didn't know him. And I begin to go, this guy is in it for himself. His mi- motives are mixed. He, he's really impressed with himself. He's got so much pride, and, and it's not about that, and it's not about this. And, and then I begin, in my self-righteousness going, I oh, thank God I'm not like that guy, right? And, and, and so it's very godly behavior, I know. And so here's the kicker. I got booked to speak at a conference in California about two years after I was following this guy, and I can't stand him. I can't stand him looking at his face anymore. And I look on the poster My face is right next to his on the speaker's roster. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding. I was so looking forward to going to California. Now I got to share the stage in this conference with this guy. Oh, this is going to be wonderful. I'm like, honey, can you believe this? So I fly out to California, get off the plane, go into the hotel. I'm not thinking about him. I'm just trying to get checked in. And I hear, oh my gosh, David Martin. And I look around and it's him in the flesh. And I'm like, oh gosh, all right, here goes nothing, right? So he comes over. He's like, oh, man, listen, dude, I'm so, I've been so excited to meet you, and, I'm, and, and it's going to be great, and I can't believe we're at the same conference together. I'm like, yeah, man, for sure. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Oh, my gosh. And, and so I just wanted to get out of this situation. I wanted to get out of his presence because I'm like, I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm trying to keep my heart pure before the Lord, and I really don't want to have to struggle with punching you in the face, right? So, so is that too real once again? So this is all internal. A couple of the other guys at the conference that was also speaking there, they're like, hey, why don't we go out for dinner? He's like, great, Dave, can I ride with you? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's like a 20-minute drive, and i got to ride in the car with this guy now? I get in the car, and I really wasn't interested in being his pal because I can't stand the guy, and I've already prejudged him and all the rest of the stuff. Over the period of about 20, 25 minutes, as we drove to the restaurant, I get out of the car, and I'm in love with him. I want him to be my best friend ever. It was crazy how quickly just being in the presence of this person that, in my self-righteousness and pride, and all these things that I just inserted and assumed about who he was and what he was about, vanished simply because... He just, he was present. I got to know him. I got to know his heart a little bit better and it began to make a little bit more sense why he does what he does and how he does it. And, and by the way, I still follow him, and this is like four or five years ago. Sometimes I still am like, oh, geez, this guy, he's got to stop this, you know? But I know his heart and I love him. Why do I share this with you? Because we all do this. Like Facebook and Instagram and all these things, we, we just judge people, man, and we begin to bear false witness against our neighbors because they have a flag outside in front of their house that may not agree with our beliefs right and we begin to bear false witness but what we have to understand is these people that we have issues with these people who are not walking with the Lord they're living a pagan lifestyle what you have to understand they're also too made in the image of God they just don't know it yet but how will they know what God looks like and why it's something they would want to reflect if they don't see it within us this could be why people don't like Christians that much because we don't look like a God that they would want to say yes to. But yet we're called to be icons, mirror reflections of him. I think that if we looked more like God, people would want to know him more. I, I love people in my life, although I don't like it. Sarah calls it heavenly sandpaper. But godly unity is built on Love, right, and relationship. And I have friends who will point out character flaws within me. I have friends that will tell me, you've got blind spots in your life, right? And it's no fun to hear hard truths, right? But we need someone in our lives to tell us when our zipper is down, right? That's love. We don't want to hear that. It's embarrassing, but someone needs to tell us this. And it's no fun. But Scripture says when there's relationship, Proverbs 28, 23 says, in the end, people honestly appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. So it's not like we we can't call stuff out in one another, but it must be rooted in love and relationship. But here's the flip side of that. How many of y'all who have been hurt by, not lies, but truth that has been spoken to you? How many of y'all, they spoke the truth, but it hurt and it didn't feel good? You see, Many times I've learned that it wasn't spoken in a spirit of love. It wasn't spoken, but rather from a place of criticism. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you guys have people in your lives who are never lacking an opinion? Do, do we have people in our, I'm raising my hand, not rhetorically, I have people in my life that are never lacking an opinion. I'm glad that y'all are free from that. I guess I have them all, okay? But here's the thing, this is the type of person that is the first one to point out what's wrong with a person, or what's wrong with the situation? What's wrong with leadership? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? And what they did wrong. Aren't these people such a joy to be around? Oh, they're so life-giving. It's like hanging out with the flu all the time. And, and I know these people and I love them, please hear me, but I gotta call this out because sometimes what happens is, is you hear a message like this, but you go, hold on. But what if it's not bearing false witness? What if it's the truth? Who's gonna speak the truth? Okay, that's cool. But these people, sometimes they go, well, I just tell it like it is. That's great, but I've learned in my years and years is that that's normally code for I'm a critical person who struggles with pride and the need for control. (laughs) And for those of you who are offended by this, I'm just telling it like it is. Okay? Okay. Pastor Glenn Packiam, who is a much sweeter man than I, this is the way that he puts it. He says, speaking the truth in love does not mean saying everything that is true. It means saying only the true things that will lead to their good. I'm telling you this. It's really difficult to avoid becoming a false witness when grace, love, trust, and relationship are absent. We're told in Ephesians 4.15, when we speak the truth in love, we grow in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Here's what I want to let you know as we begin to reconsider the way that we speak and the words that we use. As Christians, we do not have freedom of speech. As American citizens, we do, but not as Christians. We are not free to say whatever we think We are not free to say whatever we want. Even Jesus didn't get to say whatever he wanted. He said, I can only say what the Father told me to say. John 12, Jesus said, The Father who sent me gave me some orders, commands. He told me what to say and how to say it. And I know exactly what his command produces. So Jesus has received a command. And the the command to only say what the father as an icon, the image bearer, the true original image bearer of God, Jesus Christ. He says, if you only say what the father gives you permission to say, you will receive and it will produce real and eternal life. He said, that's all I have to say. What the father told me, I tell you. So one of the easiest and most effective ways as Christ followers, as icons of God, mirror representations of God, and the most effective way to avoid being a false witness or lying is to simply submit every single word that comes out of your mouth to God. This is exactly what Jesus did. We take John 12 and go, Well, Jesus, if I follow you, then I should look like you, and I also will submit every word under the authority of God, just like you have. You see, we can't pick and choose what paths to follow Jesus. Either we're all in, or you're deceived. We are works in progress, yes, but we must, when the truth is presented to us, make a decision. This is not elective. This is the way Christ followers should walk and live is to look like Jesus as icons of him. Scripture says that we must take every thought captive and our goal then should be that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to God. And the best way we could be pleasing to God is to keep our mouths shut unless it's praise, unless it's to edify, to build up, to affirm, to highlight truth, but do it in grace and love, in the same grace and love that you would want when you have transgressed, right? Scripture says this, and so Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through union with me. We know this verse really well, but Jesus, the second way that he describes himself, he says, I'm the way, and I am the Okay, so to know me is to know my Father as well. He says, I am the icon of God, the perfect image of God. God in the flesh, I represent God. And to know me is to also know my Father. And to know the truth is also to walk in the truth. But guys, we also have to steward this truth. And if we are to be true icons of God, reflections of Jesus, then we've got to put John 12 in active duty in our lives. We have to, under the authority of the Father. So to know Jesus is to know the truth, walk in the truth, and reflect the truth of God's character in and through our words. So this morning, as we wrap up, guess what we've gotten to do? We've gotten to see another facet of the Father this morning. Aren't you thankful that we can worship a God who doesn't bear false witness? Aren't you thankful that when you talk to God, you get a straight answer? He doesn't lie. He's not going to deceive you. Truth is really valuable. Don't you you just revel in the fact that when he speaks, he doesn't speak death, but he speaks blessings. He speaks grace. He affirms us. When he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, you can actually take that to the bank because you know he doesn't lie. When he says, I declare you holy, I declare you righteous. He's not lying. That's really true of us. As image bearers, since God hates lies, since he hates it when people are wrongly mischaracterized, may we begin to hate the things that he hates and stop aligning ourselves in our ignorance with another father. I think there's two groups in this room this morning as I begin to think about you guys and pray. And some of you have been convicted and you have in fact been bearing false witness and you've been mischaracterizing leaders or family members or people at work and you didn't know it until now though. That's okay. That, see, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But we must Repent. And repentance means simply to change your direction, the direction of your words this morning. And so I would encourage you. I would implore you. I would even tell you as a pastor with the authority that I have, you need to go and make right with the people you have borne false witness to and about. You need to write a letter. You need to send a text. You need to get on the phone. You need to have lunch. You need to have coffee and say, I've not reflected who I really am. As an icon and an image bearer of God, I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? you got to make this right. Telling God I'm sorry is one step, but you need to go and make these things right. So let the Holy Spirit sweetly convict you, but get this done today as it is today. Serve the Lord. Do the right thing. But there's another group in here, and maybe you haven't really made a practice out of bearing false witness against other people, but rather the way that you've broken this commandment is you've been bearing false witness against yourself. And what I mean by that is I hear too many Christians say, I'm not lovable. I'm always gonna be screwed up. I'm always gonna be messed up. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm an accident. I'm not good And you've been bearing false witness against yourself because what you're saying, although it sounds like a very humble statement to make, you're actually saying, God, my law and my commands are higher than what you say. That is spiritual pride. If God says you're forgiven, congratulations. You are so forgiven. If God declares you righteous, congratulations, you're righteous. But David, I don't feel righteous. I don't feel holy. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete this good work. You're not God. Quit trying to do God's work. Rest and abide. Let him love you. Just let God love you. And if he says it and he doesn't lie, it's not up to you to determine if that's true or not. Take it. And say, thank you. I don't know why you love me this way, but thank you. Quit bearing false witness when you look in the mirror. You begin to declare over your life and speak life instead of death over your life. Begin to speak life and truth. And you go, God, I don't know why it's this way, but this is what you say. And since you don't lie, I'm going to declare that this day, because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm holy. I'm going to declare that I am righteous. He says that we're perfect, but David, I don't act perfect. No, 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 what you don't understand it's no longer Christ, it's no longer you who lives, but Christ within you. And so his perfection has nothing to do with you. Our job is to say, I want this. And I want to close with this passage of scripture just to remind you of what Jesus has done for us in liberating us from slavery and giving us a new way to live in freedom. Tuck this in your back pocket. We know that our old sinful selves, it's not gonna be on the screen, so just listen to this. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that, everybody say so that. Yeah. Yeah, check this out, so that sin may lose its power in our lives. Scripture goes on to say this about you we are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we now, we know that we will also live with him. And we are sure of this. Why are we sure of this? Because God doesn't lie. He doesn't bear false witness. If this is how he says it works, Congratulations, we get to celebrate this morning. We're free. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. He's never going to die again. Death no longer has power over him. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. It's already broken in your lives. We don't have to try to be sons and daughters of God. Guess what we get to do this morning because of this? We get to be sons and daughters of God. When he died, he broke the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. He reflects the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive in Christ. Do not let sin control the way that you live anymore. Quit breaking the ninth commandment. Do not give into sinful desires. Why? Because sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer your pharaoh. The enemy is dead. The pharaoh is dead. Jesus has parted the Red Sea so that we may walk across into redemption, into freedom, into a land in which God has called all of us who were lost and slaves at one point. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. These laws and commandments aren't to produce righteousness, but to show the character of God so that we may know how to live in freedom. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Receive that in the name of Jesus. And may we be reflections and icons and image bearers of this great God that has chosen to liberate us. And may people see and smell and feel and hear the freedom that comes from your life as image bearers God. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We confess that apart from you, we are absolute lawbreakers, but in you, we are overcomers. We love you, Jesus. We thank you.